CBS Friday. TV's hottest show is Fire Country. I'm not a hero. I'm in orange for a reason. They're taking 12 months off your sentence. You're free. Lady. With a special epic season finale. Now that I'm out, I need something to get me up in the morning. You are a firefighter. You used to be. That will be unforgettable. In the name of your life's happiness, go get your girl. She's getting married tomorrow. Says, when do you let anything get in the way of what you want? The Fire Country season finale, Friday, 9, 8 central on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Good evening and welcome to Tunnel Vision, a show presented to you by uscfootball.com. I'm your host, Jack Smith, joined in studio by Ryan Abraham and Shotgun Spratling for a season preview for USC, the season opener this Saturday against San Jose State. We've got a lot of stuff to talk about. We're going to go through everything that's gone on with USC this week, a new athletic director, a new commit. You've got a depth chart coming out. And then, of course, the football game on Saturday. But guys, before we get to that, I'm joined by Ryan as well as Shotgun. And Shotgun, I think you need to change your nickname to the only man that's ever asked Lincoln Riley, a press conference question on an airplane. I don't think I'm going to change my nickname. I'm going to keep it how it is, but I'm just trying to, trying to uh, you know, get my questions in when I can. I can't be here for every Tuesday, so uh, when I get a chance to zoom in, then I'm going to get a question in. Yeah, we had a, a, so if you don't know, we had Lincoln Riley Zoom earlier today. We get him on Thursdays, and Shotgun was flying here from the East Coast on the plane while there was announcements going on asking Lincoln Riley a question, so it was kind of uh it was kind of funny, but that's the kind of week it's going to be. It's like <laughs> such a busy week, you know, week zero. So there's some cool games this weekend. Maybe not a lot of cool games. You got Navy, Notre Dame, so one of USC opponents. And of course, USC, San Jose State. It's, a, it's been a long offseason with all kinds of crazy stuff happening and conference realignment and everything. Uh, USC getting a new athletic director. Lots of stuff going on. But we actually have a game. I'm so excited, guys. We could talk about a game. We got Jack back. He was doing his baseball stuff all summer, and he's back at school, the junior. So people who are asking for Jack, we got Jack back now, which is great. And we'll be doing our regular Tunnel Vision shows Thursday nights and then Sunday nights um, going forward. So we'll preview games on Thursdays, and we'll recap games on Sundays. We'll have different rotations. Chris Trevino will be in here. Connor Morissette, who is our new writer, has done really well, and I think everyone liked him. First game, he, we just hired him like a month ago. He's got a wedding to go to. He's missing the first game. So, no, we're not going to fire him. We love him coming around. So, <laughs> But, yeah, so we'll have different rotations. Shotgun will be in for some games. Uh, he'll not be in for others. So we'll have whenever he's in town, we'd love to get him on the show. But we thank everyone because we're live on YouTube, Facebook, and on Twitter on our USC football Twitter account. So it's going to be – I'm fired up, Jack. This is a lot of fun. Yeah, well, Shotgun got his question in. Make sure you guys are getting your questions in. You can leave the comments on Facebook and YouTube. You can also call into the show, 512-4-TUNNEL, and we'll get to those by the end. But we'll, if you put your comments up, we can put them on the screen. If you've got questions, we can answer those at the end. But we've got so much USC to talk about. And Shotgun, coming over here to the West Coast, what do you want to start with? I mean, I feel like we got to start with the depth chart, right? Everyone's – it's kind of the, the quiz – 
going into the the final week, it's like, okay, we've heard a lot of things, but since we don't get to see all the practice anymore, you know, you're kind of wondering, all right, who's actually going to be up there? You know, we've asked questions about certain players, but maybe there's some players that we haven't asked questions about, and that's actually some of the stuff that we you know learned about when the depth chart came out last night. We're able to ask uh, Lincoln Riley about today, guys like Kyron Ware Hudson. I don't think Kyron Ware Hudson's name has necessarily come up. No. Um, you know, maybe Dennis Simmons throwing him in there at some point when he's talking about all the receivers. But just individually, I don't think he's necessarily come up. And Lincoln Riley said today, you know, he's, he's probably been the camp MVP. And that goes back to, and this tells me the depth chart and the positions we're going to talk about, some of the surprises all about consistency because that is what Lincoln Riley said about Karen Ware Hudson said he has been one of the most consistent guys all camp and that is the single word that was uttered had to be the most times during that media day availability that we got consistency consistent who's going to be consistent how are you going to figure out this uh, position or that position consistency whoever's going to be the most consistent Karen Ware Hudson one of the most consistent guys throughout fall camp, and now he finds himself at least as a potential starter. You know, when they throw those oars in there, that's how I guess that's how you classify it as a potential starter. Yeah. But you know, and it, I thought it was also interesting. He's at the top because you look at some of the other potential starters, and I thought at first because he, he's if you don't know, Kyron, Kyron now Kyron Hudson was Kyron Ware Hudson. Kyron Hudson is listed as the uh, one of the top receivers, uh, starting receivers, along with Brendan Rice. He's an or with Brendan Rice. So I thought, okay, maybe it's just alphabetical. But then you start looking at some of the other positions where there's an or, and it's like, oh, wait, that's not alphabetical. Yeah. So he's <laughs> at the top of that. And Brendan Rice is a guy coming in to camp, we thought, had a chance to be the real breakout. And we don't know who's going to be that number one wide receiver. So it's going to be real fun on Saturday to see who's getting the targets, who are they running specific plays for, all those type things. And and then the next week and the next week and the next week because it's going to change as the season progresses. And I think Lincoln Riley seems really excited about the potential of the progression of young players getting better as the season goes along. So for the couple of people that are on the peristyle that have been bitching and moaning about the depth chart, <laughs> how could this player still be a starter? Did they not see what happened last year? First off, most of these kids are 18 to 22. So there's, there's something called growth that happens a lot for 18 to 22-year-olds. They mature. They get better. Um, and then the other thing is maybe the player that they're going against has been nicked up. Maybe he doesn't know the playbook, the other player that they're going against. So there's a lot of factors that go into it besides, well, I didn't like what they did last year, so why is he starting now? Yeah. Plus, we've seen depth charts come out the morning of the game, and that guy, the guy that's starting never plays. So that, that also, happens sometimes. Also true. Too. But it's funny where you're talking about growth. The word we want to use here is development. Now, that's a foreign term for <laughs> USC football fans over the last 15 years. Ouch. So there hasn't been a lot of development. You get a five-star in, and he's as good as he was from high school when he leaves, and then he gets better when he goes to the NFL. Like, that's kind of been the MO. Players can actually develop. And one of the more shocking things that Lincoln Riley's probably said in the you know year and a half or whatever he's been here is that Kyron Hudson is like our camp MVP or potentially could be our camp MVP. I'm like, what? Like, okay, that's, you know, that's saying a lot. Like, there's a lot of dudes that were playing. You've got like a, a freshman tack of Curtis who's, uh, you know, earned like a starting spot, at least on the depth chart. You're saying Hudson might be the, you know, the uh, team MVP from camp. That's impressive because, I mean, they have an embarrassment of riches at the wide receiver spot. Uh, you you move uh, Raleigh Brown over there. He's listed fourth in his position. You know, Zachariah Branch, who's like an all-world freshman that everyone thinks is going to blow up. He's listed third. How are they going to use these guys? Is Mario Williams going to get 
100 targets or he's going to get 25 along with everybody else. Like, I'm not, I'm not sure how this is going to work. And then you got Dorian Singer in there, too, who's like, you know, lead, second leader receiver in the Pac 12 last year. They have a lot. Caleb Williams has a lot of dudes he can throw to. And when you're talking about it, like, if, you know, I just did some radio stuff. If you guys ever do, if, are you mentioning Kyron Hudson in the first five, six guys of the, the wide receiver? You're not, you know, and so, but he's going to be really good, too. So I think that's something that's pretty impressive what we saw at least what we saw from the depth chart today yeah i asked him i asked lincoln the question i said you know what has impressed you enough from kyron hudson to earn the or and i was the, the last thing i was expecting him to say was yeah he's been the team mvp of camp <laughs> I, I thought he would say yeah you know he's he's been good and and we expect him to get a lot of playing time and maybe that's it but team mvp is like these are the guys that go out and get team mvp and it makes the wide receiver discussion even harder i was talking with uh, rj abadia the other day about like how do you think that the receiving yards list is going to shake up because there are five to six guys you can believe are going to be in maybe the top three and Kyron Hudson wasn't a name we touched, and now no. that could be a possibility. Um, and maybe we can get into the intricacies of the depth chart when it comes to the offense. Of course, you've got Caleb Williams as the quarterback, the running back kind of as we expected, an or with Austin Jones and Marshawn Lloyd. But then the receiver room is really interesting, and one of the people Kyron Hudson is sharing that or with is Brendan Rice, who we got to talk to yesterday. But if you guys want to kind of start to break down the offensive depth chart, maybe we can get into that. Yeah, Rice is like, I mean, it was funny. He's like, was the big receiver last year. And now you got like Jacoby Lane and you got Deuce Robinson and guys that aren't even like sniffing this. And, uh, and you know, they're, they're highly, you know, people talk about them just like, wow, they've been super impressive as freshmen. I think Rice is going to have a really big year. And I think the one thing, you know, same thing, the, the word is consistency, right? He's got to be more consistent. He has a great cotton ball, but you want to see that kind of week in and week out. I think he's earned the trust of Caleb Williams. Uh, but, you know, I think for the offensive line part, uh, you know, that having three potential transfers as starters, you know, you move Jonah Monheim to left tackle. He's a team captain now. Boom. He's your starting left tackle. You feel pretty good about it. You move Justin Dietrich to center. Feel good about that. He's been a team captain for two years in a row. But having, you know, Jared Kingston and Michael Tarquin and Emmanuel Pregnon as potential starters, too. Um, I mean, that's you know, it, kind of what we expected, but we didn't expect Alani Noah to be sort of like the co-starter with Pregnon at the left guard spot. And, you know, so that was interesting to me, but the offensive line looks like it's, it's a really good group, veteran group, you know, with the three transfers and the, the two veterans from USC. But there's some young guys that could get in the mix there. Um, and the depth is good. Like a Mason Murphy got experience and, um, you know, you'll have Elijah Page, the, the true freshman backing up uh, Jonah Monheim at left tackle. I like I say this all the time. Like from two years ago to now, the the offensive line is just completely different. Like you have these great, you know, that's a really good starting group, but there's a lot of guys behind them that can play. So I think they've, you know, Josh Henson did a great job of turning this over. The five freshmen they bring in, that they've built this line for the future, but they've also you've know, got some transfers in to build it for right now too, because you got to get you got to protect Caleb Williams, you know, in his last year. Yeah, the biggest surprise, obviously, was the Emmanuel Pregnant being an or with Lonnie Noah. Because going into it, you would say, okay, Lonnie Noah has been getting second team reps from the little bit we've been able to see as far as the media. Um, but I would have anticipated that if some, one of the three interior guys went down on Saturday, the first guy up would have been Gina Quinones. Yeah. But now we see that, oh, Lonnie Noah is getting a, an or tag, then okay, that's not going to be the case. One, now I expect him to get some rotation. 
because you're going to rotate against San Jose State. I expect that to happen. So I think you're going to see rotation at that spot. I think you'll see rotation at the potentially at one of the other at the other guard spot with Jared Kingston and get Gina Quinones in there some, and then also some rotation at the right tackle spot with Michael Tarquin and Mason Murphy, who Mason Murphy had really pushed hard um, I, I, on Michael Tarquin to for that spot from what we were told. So um, I, I think that's great because that tells you okay now there's eight guys that they feel like they're confident in they can play. You, know, you had Quinones, you saw him last year, you saw Mason Murphy at times last year, plus the guys that you brought in. Now you add Alain Noah. Now who can be that ninth guy? Who can be that tenth guy? And that's when you start you know, feeling like, okay, USC is getting back to having that strength in the trenches because they've had good offensive lines the last few years, but it's been six guys, maybe seven. And when one guy goes down, when with Andrew Voorhees went down last year, you saw there was a big difference when he played versus when he did not play. I mean, there was a significant difference. I would have to look up the numbers just as far as the yards per play um, for USC with Andrew Voorhees versus when he was not in there. Yeah. And then we can get into some of the other parts as well. Someone was talking about Raleigh Brown being low on the depth chart, and I don't know if you know it's just because they've got so many wide receivers. Is that the way that you guys take that as well? And maybe how do you guys see the wide receiver room shaking out with all of the people that USC has to choose from? It's going to be tough. I mean, I think he's probably going to be more of a situational player. Like, there's going to be packages and stuff where he comes in. Um, yeah, I... I'm really curious to see, and we might not know for sure when you're playing San Jose State, depending if they can build a big lead or not. You might just see all those guys coming in and play. But if it's a close game, are you sticking with the first five, six guys? Or are you playing 10? You know, I mean, I think they could. Like, if they wanted to play 10 guys, I think they could. Uh, some of the situational stuff, like, do you put Deuce Robinson in uh, in the red zone, you know? And then how much are the, the tight ends coming in? Lake McCree. And I, I just, watching Jude Wolf, I just like the way he looked. And I think he's hungry after being out for a couple years. Uh, there's a lot of options um, for Lincoln Riley there. I, I don't really know how it's going to shake out. Yeah, I'm curious to see with the wide receivers because is it going to be similar to, you know, the Darius Rogers juju years where those guys didn't come off the field? No, they ever. were the starters. You could be the backup guy and you might play five snaps in a game. Yeah. Or are you going to rotate? Is there going to be packages for every different guy? You know, how are you going to do it? Because last year it was, you know, they did rotate some, but barring injuries, Jordan Addison didn't come off the field and Mario Williams didn't come off the field. Every once in a while they'd say, okay, we're going to throw somebody in. Maybe, maybe a backup got a series other than, hey, they ran a, you know, they ran a fly route, um, you, you know, and we're going to give them a break, a breather after running all the way down the field. Otherwise, those guys didn't come off the field. Now, they mixed and matched with some of the other stuff. Brendan Rice, you know, rotated some with Kyle Ford at times. Until there were some injuries, you didn't see Michael Jackson get in there. No. You didn't see Kyron Hudson get in there. Now, when they did, give those guys a ton of credit for being ready and making the most of their opportunities. There wasn't a lot of drop-off, I think. You know, Yeah, they did a great job. And when you can say that, hey, Michael Jackson comes in and basically plays his first real snaps all season against Utah, <laughs> when Jordan Addison goes out, and what does he do? He goes and catches a touchdown pass. The next week, I think he had another touchdown catch. So you're like, okay. You, know, you don't <laughs> feel terrible about the fact that Jordan Addison was out. And you didn't see that big drop-off, like you said. But are you going to feel like, okay – 
more guys know the offense. We want to get more guys involved. We want to start getting those freshmen some touches, getting them used to the game speed, and you can mix and match. Or is it going to be if you do, or if you are trying to rotate a little bit more, is it going to be line changes where you're going to be like, all right, four new receivers in there, three new guys in there, and we'll get some like hockey. Yeah, yeah. Like there's so many <laughs> options that you can have, and I'm curious to see how they're going to go about it. Now, obviously, you can do some different things against San Jose State and Nevada versus, and probably Stanford versus. You know, after you get past the first bye, and then especially after you get uh, into the meat of the schedule, you're going to be it's going to be a lot different. But guys will get their chances early, and you know you'll see can Makai Lemon go make some plays. You know, if he gets a couple of chances out there, so those things I'm really curious to see. But I am I'm, I'm really going to be watching you know rotations I mean, on both sides of the ball on the offensive line, everything. Every, I feel like every start of the you know every TV timeout, I'm be like, all right, who's in the huddle? I'm gonna start <laughs> tweeting who I can get in, and also it's gonna be like, all right, it's so much tougher to get a tweet out now because of the the timing changes um, for the game for the oh, yeah. clocks and stuff. Clocks not stopping. Clocks not stopping. I'm like, I, I need those timeouts to get my tweets out. Yeah, I think one of the things that you brought up is a good point for this whole like when you're asking like how can this team take a step forward. Uh, you know, you have Jordan Addison, the Blitnikoff Award winner from the year before, go down with an injury, and little used Michael Jackson comes in and catches a touchdown and is very productive. When we saw that happen on the offensive line, you weren't necessarily seeing people come in and fill the same kind of shoes. We saw it on the defensive side of the ball. Guys maybe that were playing out of position or playing three downs instead of one or two and, and had to play more because there wasn't really anyone behind them. They had the depth at the wide receiver spot. They didn't have it on the offensive line, probably in the, the front seven, the defense, they didn't have it either. And now you feel like they have it. So if there are a couple injuries, and Lincoln Riley said today in the press conference, he had one season where he felt like he had the same offensive line to start the season, to end it, you're going to need some of those guys to step up and play. And when, it, when the injuries happen on the offensive line, I think it hurt the team. When there was injuries on the defensive side, Eric Gentry, it hurt the team. Now you feel like Eric Gentry's not even listed as a starter anymore. There's guys that can play if someone gets hurt. And I think that's kind of a luxury that you would want to have, especially the way USC's schedule is set up with nine straight games to end it. And five of the last six are against really tough you know, ranked teams. So it's, uh, I think it helps. You saw the depth of the wide receiver spot last year. They didn't have it in these other positions. Yeah, it's the difference in good and great. You can be a, or really good and great. You can be a really good team, um, and as long as everybody stays healthy, you're a great team. But then what's the drop-off for that second guy? Yeah. When the key player goes down, what happens? You know, with the wide receivers, Jordan Addison gets hurt. Mario Williams gets hurt. They got hurt at the same time. Didn't matter. Taj Washington stepped up. Kyle Ford stepped up. Michael Jackson stepped up. Kyron Hudson but at other positions, you didn't have that the the talented depth. You didn't have the depth of talent that they'd had at that one position. Uh, quarterback, you know, you felt comfortable with Miller Moss. Obviously, there's going to be a big drop off with, with Caleb Williams. But that one, you feel like oh, they, they can be okay if Caleb Williams goes down. But there were certain spots last year, in particular, especially linebacker, because not only you don't have the talented depth behind them, but now you feel like all right, well, we got to try to get our starters out there. Okay, Shane Lee's got to play with a club. Raylan Goforth has to play with a club. Eric Gentry's on one eight, on one foot, but we got to try to rush him back. Yeah, and he wasn't the same when he came back. Remember in the UCLA game, he played what was it like four snaps and then was immediately off the field yeah. um, because they were like that just not, just just doesn't look right. But you felt like you had to get him back as soon as possible because. You just have such a there was such a despair between the starters and the second string guys. Now I thought USC did such a great job of attacking their areas of weakness 
in the transfer portal in particular, but also with the freshman class. And, you know, it, the, the offensive line, it's this year will still be a, a concern. But as you roll forward, they're going to lose some important pieces, potentially like Jonah Monheim, Justin Dietrich. But as you roll forward, when you bring in five guys and they have a lot of confidence in that group, and now you've already got three, four guys in the next recruiting class, now you start adding that talent to depth and you want to get to where you feel like you're comfortable with, hey, we got to throw somebody out there, you know, 12 deep. You yeah. want to be 12 deep potentially. And hey, if it's someone that's Gino Quinones last year, this third year in the program, and hey, it wasn't great, but it's good experience for him. If that's your 12th guy versus your 7th guy, you feel completely different. Yes. And so that's kind of where the offensive line has been struggling. The defensive line, same thing. You think about it now, the guys that were the starters last year on the defensive line, they're not your most talented players anymore. You know, you have a 27-year-old uh, converted rugby player and a converted middle linebacker that were your two defensive tackles last year. They started most of the time in Stanley Tafu and Tyrone Tolini. Now those guys are going to be your backups. I mean, Tyrone Tolini on the 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 depth chart, I think it's fourth. He's fourth, yeah. On the nose tackle, and I think he'll still get. He'll be in the rotation. He'll be in there he's because good, he makes yeah. he makes some plays. He's he's a veteran. He's still raw, even though he's the oldest guy on the team. I think he's twenty seven, um, but he just hasn't played that much. But, you know, I, I think when those guys are suddenly your backups and your reserves and, hey, I need you to give me three great plays versus I need you to play 60 plays in this game, I need you to give you three three play bursts right? and, you know, maybe we'll give you 20 snaps rather than, all right, I, I know you're going to be out there 60 snaps, so you got to conserve a little energy here and you got to conserve a little energy here, especially in the trenches. Suddenly it becomes so, so much different. You know, you don't have – whatever year it was with Clancy Pendergrass, where you're playing 12 guys and your defensive yeah. tackle, like Leonard Williams is going 80 snaps in a game. Like, that's ridiculous. Now, he was a freak, but then there's drop-off as the game progresses, and there's times where he's going to have to take a play off. With this depth that they have now, and still not quite to where they want it to be, but there's so much more of an opportunity now where, one, you're not practicing hard. You're not going to play. Yeah. Oh, Barry Alexander. Everyone's like, oh, he's definitely going to be a starter. Comes from Georgia, you know, all the the hype. He's listed as an or because he's been banged up a little bit in, in camp. And they one of the things that Lincoln Riley said about him is he's got to get his conditioning up. He's, yeah. he's not ready to go a full game yet because he's been banged up and not been able to go. So, like, in the past, it'd be like, well, he's the most talented guy. We got to get him out there immediately. Right. We got to play through his, you know, his his conditioning issues and just getting better as in the games versus in practice. You don't have to do that this year. Someone back talks the coach or whatever it is, like, no, you ain't playing. You miss a class, you're late for a workout. Yeah, yeah there's it's, like just the accountability there, and like you can do that so much more when there is depth because you don't have to feel like, well, we got to play them. Right. Yeah, it's a lot different. I hate to bring it back to skill position players because you're talking so well about the offensive line and the defensive line and, and the trenches. With the running back room and the tight end room, I feel like there wasn't a whole lot of new information. You've got Austin Jones and Marshawn Lloyd listed together with an or. You have Lake McCree, who seems to be the starting tight end. Do you guys feel like you learned anything at all from the depth chart reveal at those two positions? And how do you guys feel like that'll shake out come Saturday and the rest of the season? Yeah, I think. I mean, you want to see Lake McCree. I think both Lake McCree and, and Jude Wolf are going to get some playing time. Just how much is the tight end used? And, you know, Lincoln Riley was asked about what he, you know, does he know what he's going to do for the running back rotation and stuff? And he said, I do, but I'm not going to tell you guys. So it's like, uh, but I think you're going to, I, I think Marshawn Lloyd is probably going to end up being the first guy that gets a, a, a touch 
that's my guess. Uh, but I think him and Austin Jones will probably be the two guys that are kind of rotating through. They list Barlow, Darren Barlow, the TCU transfer third. And I think you'll see the, the two Texas kids coming in at some point, you know, probably when you get a lead. But my guess is the kind of two veterans uh, in Jones and Lloyd are the, the two guys that are kind of you're going to rely on the most. Yeah, definitely. And I think what stood out about the depth chart for the running backs is that you went four deep and Quentin Joyner is the fourth guy. And the Darwin Barlow's third guy. Because you thought, okay, is Darwin Barlow lost in the mix? Now, again, it's a depth chart. Just because it says it on here, just because yeah. that Killian O'Connor is listed as the backup center, he's not going to be the second guy in. No. Gino Quinones would be the second guy in. I'm almost certain of it. But, now he may work his way up there, but still I'm not trusting a walk-on to be the backup center. Um, so we'll see how it shakes out. But definitely you feel like those two guys are going to be the guys at the top. I did think it was interesting, again, that Austin Jones is listed first over Marshawn yeah. Lloyd um, because I would kind of thought, okay, Marshawn Lloyd is going to be the top guy. But, uh, you know, I, I think it's going to be interesting. I, I think this is a glimpse of what could kind of play out. Yeah. And it kind of gives us a glimpse of guys that have stepped up more than, all right, guys that are definitely going to get extra playing time or more playing time. And I guess we can move to the defensive side of the ball as well, unless you guys have any more thoughts about the offensive. No, let's shirt. move on. Yeah, there are two big standouts for me on defense, and it's you know two young guys that I think Trojan fans had wanted to see get into the mix: Tackett Curtis and Damani Jackson. <clears throat> as of now, both listed as starters for Saturday. What are your guys' general takes on that? Yeah, I mean, I think we've heard a lot of good things about Damani Jackson kind of going for you know forward there. That it's a gr deep secondary group, and I think the secondary wasn't. Um, wasn't really, you know, you didn't get a lot of transfers in. It was really just kind of what you had already. Dante Williams recruited the positions very well. You bring in Christian Roland Wall. So maybe a surprise. I thought he might be listed as the starting nickelback, and they got Jalen Smith there. But, you know, Sierra Wright and Damani Jackson, I think, you know, solid there. You'll probably see some rotation from some of the guys behind him. I think you're going to see a bunch of Christian Roland Walls. He's just been really impressive. To me, Kalen Bullock, your interception leader from last year. Uh, and then, you know, Bryson Shaw and Max Williams, um, at the other safety spot. So I, I think you can do, you can play like eight guys in the secondary uh, for sure. And I think I like the secondary a lot just because there's a lot of depth there and it's mostly kind of homegrown, you know. The Tackett Curse one is probably the most, the, you know, eye opening one there. Uh, you know, you look at Shane Lee and Eric Gentry, like those were your two linebackers last year and neither one of them, they're both on the team, neither one of them are listed as starters right now. So I think you're going to see a lot of Eric Gentry. He's been banged up a little bit. Um, but they Taka Curse has been very impressive, and nothing USC fans like you know this, Jack. You know the shotgun when you get a highly rated recruit that everyone's excited about. You don't want him to be a Corey Foreman and hope he's like developed in the year three. You want him to play as a true freshman. And now Tackett Curtis has that chance. So whenever that happens, like the fans just absolutely eat it up because they followed him through the recruiting process. And now he's going to play. See, I told you he was going to be great. And he is. So, uh, yeah, that's a really exciting one. I, I'm sure Eric Gentry is going to play a lot as long as he's healthy. Uh, I think Shane Lee might be early down kind of guy. Maybe he comes in on some first down, second down stuff. We'll see. Um, but yeah, those those are two big ones. Uh, you know, younger guys that are in that starting spot. It should be noted that both Eric Gentry and Shane Lee have been banged up during fall camp. Yeah. Um, so that probably is playing into that. And again, you don't have to rush them back because you have more talent now. Yeah. You have more depth. And against San Jose State, you can say, all right, let's see what Tackett Curtis can do. And then 
you know, if if he's struggling, we can get somebody else in there. We can get Rajon Davis in there. We can get Eric Gentry in there. We don't have to rush our guys back. We don't have to play him too many snaps coming off of an injury either. Um, I, I think in the, the secondary, I, I think it's notable that Jalen Smith won that job. And I think people should remember, Jalen Smith is so young for his class. Yeah. He's younger than Tackett Curtis. <laughs> I don't think anybody realizes he's younger than Tackett Curtis. He's going to turn. I, I think their birthdays are like a, 10 days apart. Like they'll both be 20 years old this year. That's crazy. And he's been here for like, I feel like Jalen Smith's been around for nine years, he's but that's probably that because, yet. you know, have watched him since he was this tiny, uh, you know, on the Snoop League show or whatever. It, it makes a difference, you know, like if you remember Juju Smith Schuster came in, he didn't turn 18 until like November, November of yeah. his, his freshman year. So he was catching passes all over UCLA, like turning 18. Yeah, but he's the rarity. Like, right, it, yeah. Not usually when you come in at 17, you're just immediately going, uh, being thrown in there. Alani Noah is another guy who's super young as well. Yeah. Um, he actually may be the youngest guy on the roster. I can check that in a second. But, you know, Jalen Smith, I think you're seeing the progression. Now, he he got remember he had the concussion in the UCLA game I think two years ago um, you know starting to get some playing time at, at, and you know got banked up and that's going to be a concern with him because he's, he's just a smaller guy same thing with Max Williams is like those are guys that will make a lot of plays now they can get beat by size and different things like that but they're also liable to get injured because they're smaller guys but Jalen Smith is as tough as they come yeah Max Williams too but Jalen Smith is a playmaker and like we've seen it as he's grown up. The fact that he was playing and he's tough. He, he played linebacker in high school because you know they wanted to just get him around the action more because he makes tackles, he does everything. So excited to see him there because he's one of my favorite players. But it was very interesting to see that he beat out beat out Christian Roland Wallace. I still think we'll see Christian Roland Wallace, and maybe they don't even know exactly what they want to do with Christian Roland Wallace yet. Maybe it's kind of like all right, Christian Roland Wallace is a guy that's going to get snaps. And whichever you that's, you know, the three cornerbacks, the two outside and the nickelback, whichever you three is not playing well, he's going to take your snaps. Yeah. <laughs> like, you just put the, the pressure on everybody. And that's Dante Williams' kind of mantra is, like, he wants competition all the time. So, you know, I, I think you'll see Christian Roland Wallace out there. I think it's interesting he's listed as an or as the backup to Sierra Wright. That tells me more about Prophet Brown. Um, you know, there's been some positive things said about Prophet Brown, too. So is he a guy that kind of slowly makes his way into the mix, too? I just think there's a lot – a lot more options this year. And so if someone is getting torched because they're small and the other guys are big, hey, guess what? Yeah. You can put a different guy in there this year. Last year, that wasn't necessarily the case because Zion Branch got hurt so early. Um, you know, that definitely played into it. Bryson Shaw was hurt for the first half of the season, basically. Yep. So, you know, I, I think you lost a lot of options. And again, more added depth. And now you feel more comfortable with, all right, if someone's not playing well or whatever, we can make a change. You saw that at cornerback, actually, last year with Sierra Wright and Jacoby Covington. Covington came on. He took over. Even though Sierra Wright wasn't playing bad, but apparently Covington was playing that much better in practice and earned it. So it was interesting, actually, to see Sierra Wright was called uh, the most consistent player that they've had. And uh, I think Lincoln Riley said on Monday or Tuesday that he's the most improved, one of the most improved players they have on the team. So for him, he's basically as clearly taking over that that CB1, said QB1, um, and then Demaya Jackson and Jacoby Covington were fighting for the second spot, and Demaya Jackson won it, so it, it's great to see Demaya Jackson back as well. Another guy that was banged up all last year, so you didn't have that talented depth, again, just going back to it over and over and over until you guys are nauseous and throw up or something, whatever. 
Don't, don't matter to me. But more talented depth, uh, especially in the in the back seven, but also on the defensive line where we haven't even got to yet. Yeah. Yeah, I think we, when we talk about talented depth, too, you need two pieces. Sometimes you're bringing in new guys, whether it's from the transfer portal or these freshmen. I think you have to give a lot of kudos to some guys, too, who saw their starting spots maybe get taken by people that are coming in, and they stayed. They didn't transfer out, and they fought for a chance to continue their playing time. I mean, Kyron Hudson, a guy that we've talked about earlier, obviously, didn't play a whole ton last year, saw some time, you know, had a couple touchdowns, but he stayed, wanted to compete, and now he's earned what the, the team MVP, uh, according to Lincoln Riley, through fall camp. You've got a guy like you know Jalen Smith coming in. He, he battles for his spot. And I think there's a lot of guys across every position that are staying. They're not transferring out. And I think that's a testament to the culture that Lincoln Riley built last year and continuing into this year. USC didn't have a lot of players transfer out um, when it came to guys that actually played a decent amount last year. And now you're seeing that depth build up underneath the new guys that are brought in. And when you have those guys pushing the newer guys or some of the guys you maybe consider more talented, I think that's where that talented depth comes from, or at least that, you know, Term. Yeah, and I think the, the chemistry you mentioned is one of the more impressive aspects of all of this, that when you rebuild a team, uh, sometimes there's some growing pains. I think a couple of years ago, Utah brought in a lot of transfers, and they were sort of not that good in the beginning of the season. They got better. Um, this team seemed to gel like right away, and I think it's about that culture that you have to build. It's a buzzword we use all the time, but you know what Lincoln Riley was able to do and get everyone on the same page right away, where you had some players coming from Oklahoma and coaches. You had coaches coming from other places. You had some of the leftovers that were still at USC and then, you know, stars brought in from other places and somehow it all worked. And like, you know, just to have a guy like Travis Dye come down from Oregon and be like, not a team leader, just, I mean, a leader for the running backs, but like for the whole team, stuff like that is pretty impressive. And Marshawn Lloyd, you know, Shane Lee, two linebackers transferring in back to back years that become captains, you know, and um, you know, that's an important spot on the defensive side of the ball, that inside linebacker spot. So that the fact that it's worked, I think that's why you feel pretty confident going in that all these new pieces that were added, especially on the defensive front, are going to gel together. I've, I've asked a lot of the players this camp about chemistry, and it just seems like it's something that's working. And you take it they're working. We've seen it work before. I think it's a big part of it. It's not just talent acquisition, the development stuff, but getting all these guys to work together and, and, and play for like a common goal is not always easy. You want to leave if you're not getting the ball or if you're not getting enough playing time, things like that. It seems like guys are sticking around. Uh, now, it might be tougher that you have more dudes that can play and they might be guys that are on the bench that can play and aren't playing. So it might be a little bit more of a difficult uh, you know, task, I guess, for Lincoln Riley to keep everyone happy this year. But that's been really impressive to me, the way they've kept it all together with the team chemistry and, and the bonding and stuff. Yeah, it's easy to be kumbaya during the preseason, though. Yes. It's a lot different when you're either in a tough game or you lose a tough game and you're sitting back there, you didn't play, and you go, if I was in there, I would have made that play. I would have made, why did he not, I would have made that. Yeah. If they just play me, and suddenly that's when the seeds start rolling. Now, if you're winning the whole time, Less likely that happens. Yes. Winning helps. But <laughs> if either the person in front of you gets beat or makes a mistake, I wouldn't have made them. They should be playing me. That's where those seeds of contention come in. Um, so you got to be concerned about that. And I, I thought it was interesting. I asked Lincoln Riley this morning. My playing question was, uh, you know, what's the biggest obstacle to them meeting the the lofty goals they have, the high expectations that come with this team, bringing back a Heisman Trophy winner, all that? And he says – they still don't have that cohesion that the last year's team did. 
Now, he he framed it, and he was giving a lot of credit to last year's team. He said, we've still got to come together even more uh, to be able to have that, which tells you so much about last year's team. Like you mentioned, that was the most impressive part of the entire yeah. season to me, was the fact that they came together with all those pieces, new pieces from everywhere, and were able to make it work together. And now when you have a generational quarterback, that makes a lot things a lot easier in, in so many different ways. But still, everyone's still coming on the same page. And then you have someone like Shane Lee. Who is going to be demoted? You know, when we saw Mason Cobb come in and we saw that Mason Cobb, the impact he was having, you go, okay, Shane Lee's probably going to get demoted. And Shane Lee's still a captain. And Shane Lee's still there saying everything the right way. And Shane Lee's going to be a contributor for this team. And he, he could have probably seen the writing on the wall at some point. And I, I think he could probably grad transfer. Um, I, I don't know exactly his standing or how exactly that would have worked, but I believe he could have he left as a grad transfer, but he has stuck it out, wants to be a part of this team, and everyone still looks up to him as, as a you know as a leader on this team, even though he's not going to get those first-team reps that he was getting last year. He's not going to get as many snaps as he did last year. Yeah. Well, we could talk about that defensive front that you wanted to mention. There were, I think, two names that stuck out to me the most, which is Dejon Benton and Braylon Shelby being named with oars. But if you guys want to get into kind of the overall rotation, and Chuck, I know you have thoughts on what it's going to look like, uh, you know, maybe contrary to the way that the depth chart is lined up, but what were the biggest things that stuck out to you guys? I mean, I think what you got to look at is when we talked about, you know, there's guys that are uh, that played a bunch last year that might not be in the rotation. I think what I like what they've added, and you have – experience you have guys that have proven production and then you have like upside guys so like jack sullivan i always say he's like he feels like he's a coach out there four years at purdue um you know uh, jamil muhammad comes in from georgia state you know and it's just like uh, who is this guy well he's a redshirt senior he used to play quarterback he's just come out and just he's like an all business dude he's gonna get after the quarterback you're like all right i like what that guy's bringing to the table i love keon bars um, coming from Arizona, you know, I talked to the people at Arizona. He he was all packed up, I think, second team two years ago and kind of dropped off last year. The guys at Arizona were telling me, you know, they've changed their, their scheme a little bit. They weren't, he wasn't as able to be as aggressive and his numbers dropped off, but they love his, his potential and his production. He's proven. So you got guys like that that are like, okay, those guys are going to come in and do great things. But then your Bear Alexanders or your uh, Anthony Lucases, who were five stars, they're, you know, they've only been in college football one year. They don't have a lot of production, you know, at Texas A&M and Georgia. Uh, but, man, there's just so much upside there. I love what they've added where there's guys that come in. You have, like, it would be like bringing in, like, Michael Tarquin or whatever on the offensive line. Like, this guy's done it. You know what he can do. But then you bring in this, you know, five-star freshman that they played a little bit. We weren't really sure, but there's so much upside there. So I, I love the way they've kind of constructed this new look front seven um and you know the, a lot of the guys are back from last year too so there's a lot of options there like shotgun said if someone's not doing well he's loafing or just you know giving up plays man you could just put somebody else in and i the depth is so much better and i think the you're gonna see this defensive front play a lot better than what they played last year last year was kind of like the tuli tui Pelotu show and that was sort of about it i think it's gonna be spread around uh, a lot more now yeah, and uh, Lincoln Riley's mentioned this a couple times, but he said last year if they were to win on the on the defensive line, it was a one v one win. To, basically, that meant Tuli Tupelo to beat somebody. <laughs> um, and sometimes, you know, Tuli would beat somebody, force the the pocket or force the quarterback up in the pocket. Tyrone Tulane is there or something like that um, because he comes off his guy a little bit later. 
But when a defensive line is able to create consistent pass rush, is the pocket is collapsing on the quarterback. You know, the pocket is just slowly coming back. Think back to Keaton Slovis versus BYU. Their nose tackle was 340 pounds and was shoving Brett Nealon back into <laughs> Keaton Slovis's feet over and over and over. Yeah, and it made it that much, you know, that much tougher for Keaton Slovis to do anything. That's the pocket landing in your feet. Now Caleb Williams can change the pocket and move it, yeah. move it somewhere else. But when you're doing that as a defensive front and you can create that bubble around the quarterback that he he constantly is feeling like there is someone breathing on his neck, then now you are you know you're going to upset the timing. You're going to just have you know you're going to get quick feet. Um, you know think back and you start hitting them a little bit. Now you get to JT Daniels versus Stanford. He took all those big hits against Stanford. Suddenly he got the happy feet, you want to get rid of the ball quicker, and you know, he just wasn't the same for a little while after that. So those are things that consistent pressure can do. And now USC Lincoln Riley feels like they can win not just it doesn't have to be just a one on one win. That it can be a team pass rush getting to the quarterback. And I think that's the biggest difference. You got a freak in Anthony Lucas. Everyone that's that's the number one word that has come up anytime I've I've talked or asked about Anthony Lucas is freak. Yeah. Whether it be his freakish length, his ability just to get to the quarterback. You know, I, I think Keon Barr is at Media Day was like he, he doesn't fully know how to use it yet. He said sometimes, you know, he doesn't you know, I, I, it sounded like you know, reading between the lines, like he doesn't fully um, fulfill his assignment every time, but because he's a freak, he still gets there. Yeah, like he doesn't use his full technique, but he's a freak and he still gets there. So you got him on one side. You got Jamil Muhammad, who has such a quick burst off the line of scrimmage and has such a a quarterback mind um, that he you know knows all the ins and outs to get there. Braylon Shelby, another freak, again, super young kid. He just turned eighteen. Alani Noah does not turn 18 for another two months. Wow. 17-year-old, and he's, what, 6'4", uh, 325 pounds. Big old boy, and he moves well. He might. He might uh, As a 17-year-old. Yeah. Um, but back to the defensive line, you know, I like the way that it's constructed as well when you have the experienced guys that can help mentor. But then also talking to Keon Bars, he's like, yeah, that's part of my role. And Jack Sullivan said the same thing, this is, this, that it's his role to help teach those young guys. But Keon Bars also said – but I can still learn from them. And so he's like, I'm picking Bears' brain about what this guy did at Georgia or what this happened. So, you know, I think it's really constructed well in that regard. The one surprise Jack asked, uh, I thought Bars and Alexander would be split up. I expected though, I still expect those guys before the end of the year. That will be your most dynamic front to have those two guys side by side. Um, and then using Jack Sullivan, kind of floating him around to wherever you feel like you need or whoever needs a breather. And he could play, I feel like, kind of anywhere on that defensive line. Now we've seen like we Nick Figueroa, like a little maybe. A little or? bit like Nick Figueroa, but Nick Figueroa, like I feel like Jack Sullivan could do it float in a game. Like Nick Figueroa started at one side and flipped the other side. And the defensive end versus the rush in, Roy Manning has mentioned this a couple times that they're pretty similar. Yeah. Now there's some different responsibilities as far as three-point stance, two-point stance. You drop in coverage every once in a while. But that's why you've seen those guys kind of bounce back and forth. You saw Solomon Bird do some rush in. You saw Anthony Lucas start at defensive end, and now he's listed at top of the rush in. Um, so I think you can still – and I think that makes the, that competition even that much more um, – you know, heats it up even that much more. Like, all right, Jamil Muhammad is doing great as the backup rush in since he's listed as an or here. 
we're going to flip Anthony Lucas back because Jamil Muhammad's playing better than you at your defensive end spot <laughs> type of thing. Like, the guy on the other side's playing better, so we're going to move someone. Uh, so you, even if you're the starter, you feel like, I could still lose my spot to someone from the other side of the line. Uh, so I think that you're just adding more competition there, and you can rotate more and do different things. Solomon Bird, a guy that was MIA during the spring, was injured, didn't want to talk about his injury. He was asked about it this week. I think that was a media training thing, but... Um, Everyone kind of forgot about him. Yeah, you know he had flashes early in the season last year, especially that Stanford game, and then he kind of tailed off. And that was when they moved Nick Figueroa to that spot. You know, after the Romello height injury, played a couple weeks. Let's put Figueroa there on the opposite end of Tuli Pelotu to get him in, and he just kind of disappeared a little bit. Still had some decent stats. I think he had five five and a half sacks or six sacks, um, but he's been the name you hear the most when you talk about the defensive front. Um, at least for production, as far as the scrimmages. I think one scrimmage they were talking about him having three sacks or something, or yeah, one crazy. day of practice. Like, oh, he had three or four sacks. <laughs> and it was kind of like ho-hum. Like, it was like, oh, yeah, it's another day for Solomon Bird. Yeah. Um, so that makes you go, oh, okay, this this could be interesting uh, to see that. Romello Height is backing him up. I'm still super high on Romello Height. Yeah. If he reaches his potential, uh, you know, he can transform that defensive line. He looks the part for sure. And, like, there's so many guys you're like, if he reaches his potential, he reaches his potential. But I will tell you, the person I think is the most important person on this defense that unlocks the entire defense is Keon Bars. Because if he can live up to the expectation the coaching staff has for him, because we've heard a couple of times during fall camp that there's more in there, that we're trying to get him to his potential. And this is the all-pack 12 second-team guy two years ago. That's yeah. two years ago. So he's still matured. He's gotten heavier. He's gotten stronger. All those type things as well. But if he can get to his potential, the coaching staff keeps telling us, then you know, or the, he, there's still room for him to get to his potential. I think if he gets to his potential, it unlocks the entire defense because he will then have to be double-teamed consistently. And now you free up, or you say, okay, we'll try to do him one-on-one, and now you free up Jack Sullivan or Bear Alexander. But if he gets double-teamed consistently, your nose tackle gets double-teamed, it just opens up everything for everyone else. You can't get, you know, keep the running back in to chip um, the inside and the outside. You, so now you can start you know, bringing pressure off the edge, or you can bring that you know, blitzer in Mason Cobb, who's a really good blitzer. I'm looking forward to seeing that, too. Yeah, Coaches talk about his instincts and everything else. But he's going to open up so much if they can get Keon Bars to his full potential. Yeah. I think he's the guy that changes this entire defense. Yeah, I agree. Well, we talked about Solomon Bird, and he's the one that, that's kind of listed there as he is the starter <clears throat> at defensive end. And I'm curious about the two guys below and what you guys think. Do you think the fact that Romello Height, Corey Foreman, there's no ors listed to them, they're listed as backups, do you think that is because Bird has been playing so well, or do you think it's you know time to reconsider the perspective of Height and Foreman? I mean, I think Height's coming off the injury, and you know, Foreman, they, you know, they were talking about stacking days for him. It's a little surprising that he's kind of listed third there because it seemed, but he, you know, he was missing some time too. But I think, like Shotgun said, Bird has just been an absolute beast. So I think it makes sense. And sometimes it's a motivational thing, like, hey, where you want to get on or not, you know? So it's, we're going to see Saturday. I mean, I, <laughs> I love the depth chart. We should probably move on from this, Jack, because we've talked about it a lot. But I think, um, it, it makes sense from what we've seen and what we've heard about what's going on in camp and then some of the guys that maybe are a little bit banged up. Uh, and it's probably going to look a little different when we see, uh, you know, the on Saturday, Saturday night in the Coliseum. Uh, but just, you know, be watching. Shotgun's going to track everybody. He'll tell you how many snaps everyone played and stuff. 
if the game's close and there's a bunch of guys getting rotated, that's that's interesting. Or if the, only the starters are playing, you know, I'm curious to see kind of how it all plays out. But I think you're going to see a lot more rotation in a lot of different spots that we didn't see last year just because they didn't have that luxury. Yeah, let's move on. Uh, you're, you're right. We've been talking about the depth chart for, for quite some time. The opponent on Saturday is San Jose State, and I think it's time that we get into a little bit of a preview for San Jose State. Let's start with the quarterback, Shevin Cadero. It, it's an interestingly pronounced name. It looks like it would be pronounced like Chavon, something like that. It's Shevin yeah. Cordero, who is the Mountain West preseason offensive player of the year, and he's a guy that can do it with both his arm and his legs. And, you know, we got to talk to some players and some coaches about how SC feels they're prepared to handle a running quarterback. This is a guy that ran for nine uh, touchdowns last year. He's a sixth-year player in the Mountain West, former Hawaii transfer, so he's seen a lot of football. And this is an offense that will be rolling in, you know, with a lot of California-born players that maybe didn't get offers from USC, and sometimes that can cause a little bit of uh, motivation for the other team. It also is a team that, you know, it's beat Arkansas before, uh, the, a team that went and hung with Auburn for a while in Jordan-Hare, so I don't think they're going to be coming in, you know, uh, completely phased by the Coliseum, but I think it all starts with the quarterback in Cordero. W- what do you guys think about him? Yeah, for sure. I think, you know, being the, if you're the whole conference preseason offensive player of the year, that's saying something. Uh, You know, it's sort of like when you watch the NCAA tournament and some small school makes a run with their fifth year point guard, you know, their senior point guard. He's a sixth year guy, you know, he's got the COVID year. I think that's going to help quite a bit. He's mobile. Uh, You know, they, he's like similar to Caleb Williams, not like as a player. He didn't turn the ball over a lot. That's a big thing too. He got sacked a lot. Didn't turn the ball over a lot. So I think you're looking at, I think he had like five interceptions or something like uh, the same as Caleb Williams. So I think you can be an efficient, you know, thrower of the football. He utilized the tight ends really well, something that's hurt USC uh, last year. You saw that quite a bit. Um, and, you know, he is mobile. And I think, we, you know, you've seen some mobile quarterbacks kind of give USC problems, picking up third and longs or whatever. Uh, so I think there's a lot on paper, there's a lot that, uh, you know, he, Cordero can do to hurt you. He loses some of his best targets. And, you know, I think the offensive line, you know, wasn't all that great, you know, giving up a bunch of sacks and stuff. So I'm, I'm curious to see sort of how he plays. But this new look defense that we were just talking about, I think they're going to get a lot of pressure on him. And maybe they're able to force some turnovers. For me, I'd rather see this defense pull together a whole bunch of um, three and outs and getting stops as opposed to, something like, okay, we're going to get three pick sixes like you did in the, the rice opener. Like that doesn't tell you, uh, it doesn't tell you a whole lot um, about what's sort of going on. We you know, getting the, 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 inter- the people said, oh, it's turnover luck and all that kind of stuff. Um, it's more about, Hey, we're going to get stopped. It's like, boom, 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 three and out, three and out things like that. As opposed to, okay, you got a pick you get, and you ran it in for a touchdown. Uh, so yeah, I think, the good thing is Cordero doesn't turn the ball over that much, so this might be a better test for the defense just to like get off the field as opposed to getting some kind of turnover. It's also going to be have the potential to be a confidence booster because San Jose State's offensive line is not very good. They were terrible last year, um, which is why Cordero – now maybe partly that's on Cordero. I haven't watched much film on, on them holding on to the ball too long, but the sack numbers were way up there, and they returned pretty much the entire offensive line, so it's not like they're you know, bringing in a bunch of transfers from out, out, of, uh, out of town and suddenly it's all, all better. So USC, can they get pressure on the quarterback? That'll be the, the, the big challenge for them throughout the season because that's going to kind of you know allow the defense to flow and do more things, whereas last year it was, okay, if Thule doesn't get something, then all right, nothing else is going to happen. Um, so we'll see – 
how they tried to speed up Cordero, whether you know you're trying to bring extra blitzes and stuff like that, or you know you're trying to play base, not try to show too much. You know, there's different ways to kind of go about it. So we'll see. But so that's on on the offense side. The defensive side, the one area that could be of concern from San Jose State, you know, they have a pretty good secondary. They have you know former USC safety Chase Williams is going to be starting for them. Uh, they also have DJ Harvey from Sierra Canyon, went to Virginia Tech initially, so a bounce back to the West Coast. Um, a kid that I really liked coming out of high school. Uh, he'll be uh, probably their starting one of their starting cornerbacks. Their secondary is pretty good. The front is not though, but. There are 3-4 defense, and 3-4 defenses that bring blitzers from a different area kind of every time can be a big challenge in week one because how consistent, especially with USC potentially rotating off its linemen, you know, how consistent are, is everyone getting the calls? Is everyone making the right calls? Is everyone identifying things correctly? Are you in sync yet as an offensive line? Or is Caleb Williams going to have to do some magic because there's going to be some unidentified guys or just you know uh, free rushers and whatnot that come through because you didn't communicate well to begin? That's going to be the challenge for the offense, USC's offense, because I, I, I think that even though their secondary is good, USC's wide receivers are better, and Caleb Williams is better. So if they can take care of him and give him time, then USC should be able to pick apart the San Jose State defense. And if USC's defense can get pressure, they should be able to control San Jose State's offense as well. Yeah, there's a lot of continuity. Uh, Brett Brennan, uh, you know, he comes over from Oregon State. There was a bunch of the Oregon State assistants that came with him, and his coordinators have been with him like six years or something. There have been a lot. So I think defensively, you're probably going to see what did they do good last year. They did get after the quarterback well. They got a bunch of sacks. Uh, I don't think they did as well stopping the run, but so you're probably going to see that even with some turnover. Uh, that's sort of like the philosophy of these coaches, like they've been there for a long time. So it's kind of what they like to try to do. Um, they were in a lot of close games last year, Jack. So I mean, that was you know they go to on the road to Auburn. It was it was pretty close. It was an eight point game or something like that. Um, so curious to kind of see how they kind of come out and play. It's going to be a well coached team. Uh, there's there's some good players. There's going to be some deficiencies. USC is going to have a lot more talent, um, but you got to you got to do things right. I think if you want to kind of keep, you know, score as many points as you should, get the stops that you kind of should. It's it'll be interesting to watch. I think it's a pretty good test, but you know, in the end, I think it's just going to be USC is going to come out and just kind of boat race them. That's just my thought. We'll get to the predictions don't, and stuff later. Don't but. forget that. Two years ago, San Jose State was down 13-7 going in the fourth quarter. That's true, USC. yeah. Now, that was a Clay Helton team, but and that was kind of the M.O. for every opener, pull away in the fourth quarter. But they were hanging right there, and then I think there was a pick from someone, uh, maybe Greg Johnson. It was, it was yeah, Greg Johnson. Um, and pick six? Yep. Pick six by Greg Johnson kind of turned the tide. So, obviously, you get a big turnover like that, things will change. But, uh, you know, they were hanging right there with USC. So, yeah. we'll, you know, they're not scared not of the, expecting of the big that. teams. Yeah, and that we've heard that from coaches. Like, they're, this is not going to be a team that comes in and is, like, awed by the lights of the Coliseum when they come out of the tunnel. So, like, Chase could, Williams might be. You got to – he could. <laughs> Just because he's never played here before. I think USC has got to bring bring it. You know, bring – I think they're going to – they're ready. You know, the last two games you lost, you have a bad taste in your mouth. Yeah. I think they're going to – I think they got – 
feel yeah. like they have something to prove. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, USC's won the last six season openers. Under Brennan, uh, San Jose State has turned into more of a consistent team, I would say, in the Mountain West, but they still haven't knocked off a ranked opponent. Like, I'm not, I don't think that's going to be the, the week that they come in and do that. It would be the greatest win in San Jose State football history. They've never beat a team ranked as high as six. But I think they, you know, are going to be a consistent team in the Mountain West, but I just don't know if they have the talent to beat SC. And I think the way that you beat SC, as we saw last year, is you have to beat them in the trenches and with the way that San Jose State is built with an offensive line that struggled so much last year and even though they bring the guys back like who knows if they will be improved at all and a defensive front that was really good last year I think they led the Mountain West in sacks but you're replacing five of the five guys on the front seven so it's going to be a lot of turnover so maybe you know uh, later in the season if they had more experience they could compete a little more but you're also this is week one for San Jose State replacing five sevenths of your front seven um, and trying to figure out anything on the offensive line to avoid giving up sacks which in week one I think they allowed seven last year so uh, there's there's a, a lot of I think things that you look at in, in the trenches for San Jose State that you don't like if you're a Spartan fan. And I think that's how you, you would test SC. And so I think this is another one of those games where we feel like USC is going to win. And now the question is, how dominant can they play? I think if you expect this front seven for USC to be better, this is a game they have to dominate. And maybe they don't get seven sacks, but it, it should be in that territory. Yeah, I'm, you know, we're going to put out soon. Uh, if you haven't gone over to uscfootball.com, you got to go check it. There's so much content going up. It's absolutely insane, the, the stuff that's been going up there. But we're going to put our picks against the spread for the entire staff. Uh, I don't know if you guys know who won the pick battle last year, but it was moi, so that was good. Uh, yeah. Didn't happen. Yes. You were second. Still under 500, but you were second. Uh, tied with Chris. Um yeah, so we'll, Jack happen. will get another chance. Last year in the opener, he took Rice. and uh, That looked like a very good pick. And then pick sixes uh, happened. All the pick sixes. Uh, you know, uh, I think a lot of people are going to be high on USC in this one because they're, you know, you talk to defensive players. You know, I, I think uh, it might have been you that's, or I forget, someone talked about Bryson Shaw saying, like, they're really tired about talking about last year. Like, this is not something that you're going to overlook. This isn't, uh, oh, uh, we need to go out like I think the offense wants to come out and just score a lot of points. There's a motivation to get Caleb Williams a second Heisman or at least get him a bunch of stats so he'll be talked about. The defense has a ton of motivation because they've just been stomped on, uh, you know, all offseason. They want to come out and prove something. So I feel like all that mixed together, it's a this is going to be a pretty good San Jose State team. I think by later in the season, they could be vying for the Mountain West Championship. We'll see. I think they're going to be they're going to be a factor. They're going to beat some teams in the Mountain West. I just don't see this being one of those that they're going to come out and, and play very well. I think they're still going to generate sacks throughout the season, you know, even with the, you know, losing most of the front seven. I don't think it's going to happen against USC, but they will. I I just like the way my gut is USC is going to come out like gangbusters in this one and it's just going to be um, something where putting up points, getting stops, not making special teams blunders, maybe getting a big special teams play. Uh, and, you know, the turnover thing is fine. Neither of these teams turned a ball over that much. I'd much rather see a cleaner game where you're just sort of like scoring points on offense, long fields, explosive plays, efficient drives, and getting stops on defense. And if you're doing that and uh, kind of staying neutral in the special teams game, I think that's the best feeling. You want the win, but you want to kind of feel that going into your next game. I think that'll be a kind of a great baseline for the start of the 2023 season. Well, someone wants to. Someone said they they want to see how good San Jose State's punter is, and I think SC wants to see the same. Yes, thing. and punt return game and all of that. You know, like Let's give Zach Branch a chance. 
Yeah, he could be a lot of fun if he's uh, catching. But and now, you know, you don't want to see him, but you want to see Eddie Saplinski, the you know the the Arizona State transfer punter who was an all. You know, is he going to play? Is he going to is he going to is he going to get on the field at all? It's been outside of kickoffs. You if, know? He, if he doesn't play, you're never going to learn his name. Zaplicky. Zapl- I thought it was Zaplinski. No. Zaplicky. <laughs> oh, whatever. Something like that. Zaplicky. Yeah. Perfect. You're like uh, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids or something over here. Nice. <laughs> All right. Let's get into some questions before we wrap this one up. Uh, the first question comes from Ducky on YouTube. He says, why no depth chart for all the special teams guys? He also said it was great meeting us at the Trader Joe bag giveaway. But oh, hey, do you Ducky. guys know why there's no special teams listed on the depth chart? I don't know if Lincoln Rally knows that special teams are a thing. <laughs> let's be honest. He's like, we're doing offense. I know there's defense on the other side when I'm playing offense, so I know there's that. But as far as special teams, what is that? Yeah, that's the people that run out after I score touchdowns, right? I don't. I- yeah, I'm not sure. <laughs> like it was interesting that they kind of put it out this way. I have a question for our YouTube listeners too. Like we have 400 people watching live. Why are there only 63, 63 likes? We need to smash that like button. So if you're in there, <laughs> smash the like button, and then you now we'll take your questions. But that's my question to you guys. Uh, I, I think we're gonna see. I don't think there's going to be any surprises on the special teams. Um, the returners is, could be a little bit up in the air. We expect Zach Branch probably is the punt return guy. Kick returners could be a handful of guys. Maybe different guys get chances. We'll see. But as far as the specialists themselves, Jack Casasante is going to be your long snapper. He is going to snap the ball to um, Eddie Zaplicki as the punter. Saplicki will also handle a kickoff duties more than likely. And then field goals should be Dennis Lynch again. Um, I don't think Tyler Robles has pushed him enough. Um, I haven't heard any, any rumblings or anything about that. But that is my expectation there. So I don't think there's any unexpected things that we would have seen if they did put out a depth Yeah. Track. All right, we'll get special teams out of the way. One more question. Tracy asked on YouTube, what are you hearing about improvement in special teams? He said, I know you can't view all of practice, but what have you seen so far? And I've been watching the specialists the last couple days, mainly the returners, because the kickers and the punters, they've been going to the Coliseum some days. If you read Chris's ghost notes, you would have known that a couple days ago. Um, So we haven't gotten to see them, but the returners, it has been Zachariah Branch, basically being the punt returner until they've brought over a couple of guys uh, kind of at the end of that returning period to join him to at least get a couple you know, punt catches. My guess is you're going to see Zachariah Branch. We know he's very talented. We'll see if he's good at it. Um, and they've, they've been, you know, a, a whole host of kickoff returners they've been trying with, you know, uh, a ton of receivers, Makai Lemon, uh, Dorian Singer, Taj Washington, Raleigh Brown. You've got some running backs in there. They had Marshawn Lloyd in for a day. Quentin Joyner has been with that group for a while. You've got Damani Jackson from defense. And you know, it's hard to tell whether it's good or bad because they're kind of just catching them. But I think it is interesting that uh, Chris and RJ and I noticed the other day that USC is putting the returners for a second right next to the sideline, I think in, in hopes to avoid what happened to Mario Williams in the Cotton Bowl last year so there is at least a little bit of thought about the little things when it comes to special teams and they've got Kyle McDonald working with that entire group so they're dedicating a coach to going and helping it I don't think we'll know about you know whether they're improved or not for a while um, but it, they're definitely thinking about the little things and they've got a lot of talented guys back there and it's just going to be about you know who the two guys are that they put back there for kick returns my guess is it'll be similar to last year, Taj Washington. This is a, a really long answer when all we had to say was they got the all-pack 12 kicker, punter. Yeah. Their special teams will be better. And they added Zachariah Branch. That's enough. That's enough. That's enough, yeah. It'll be improved. You want improvement. They're working on some of the stuff that screwed up last year. They added a better player, a better punter. They can flip the field if you don't get a first down or whatever. Yeah, so it's going to be better. Just wait till you see Zach Branch get loose. 
He's going to be fun. All right. We've got another one from Keith on YouTube who says, how much better do you expect the linebacker room as a whole to be? It's just that much deeper. So, again, if someone breaks their hand, which two people did, <laughs> they don't have to play with a club. You can say, all right, now is Ray John Davis's actual chance. Or now Tackett Curtis is going to be the starter. Or now you know we can go to Shane Lee. Last year is like, all right, we got Shane Lee. He has to play. Now it's like we can go to Shane Lee. That, yeah. That's the difference. Yeah, I agree. I think it's going to be the whole front seven. The deeper, I think there's more talent. They're going to be better. Um, so yeah, that's I, I'm you know we'll. I think you're going to be surprised by some of the stuff you see where everyone's like, oh, the defense that sucks. The defense sucks. I I think it's going to be a lot better. If it's not, I'm going to be surprised. But I think it's going to be a lot better. Andrew asked, who will be the most dominant unit? I say we eliminate quarterback uh, from this discussion, and I'll let you two start it. From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo, thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. Kiss the Future, new documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. Probably go with like the receiver spot. Just you know, like you said, Kyron Hudson being like the MVP of camp. Like you wouldn't have mentioned when you're top six. So I think they're the ones that have the most potential, the most depth. Um, yeah, I'd go with them. Can't argue with that. Yeah, I think I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna join you as well. It will be quarterback, but I think wide receiver behind. Shotgun that. wanted to argue with it, but he couldn't. So like, <laughs> uh, Jerry asked, or sorry, uh, Jacob asked, where is Sam Green on the depth chart? He was not on the depth chart. Which tells you, and this happens, people hear about freshmen or certain players early in camp, and then you don't really hear about him for the next couple of weeks. Because sometimes guys flash early, and in the case of a few years back, like Jamel Cook, I remember, you remember the spring, he had like three interceptions. Yeah. And I was told later, it's like, he had those interceptions in part because the quarterbacks made the right read and he was in the wrong place. <laughs> so, like... You know, now the quarterback's like, all right, we can't just immediately where the safety should be on these plays. Um, so those type of things happen where guys flash early and then either, you know, the guy they're one-on-one learns them a little bit better um, or the quarterback or whatever it may be. So they don't flash as much. So you, you see some of those guys, you know, it was interesting, I think. Uh, you had to check Chris's ghost notes. I think Sam Green was one of the defenders that was on the scout team early, so that tells you he's got some work to do. Yeah. He's going to try to help the team improve from the scout team. B-Rad says, will Brendan Rice be the top dog? I would have argued that before I saw the depth chart, um, just because I expected him to kind of take off. But I, I, you, I said, well, I'll take it back. You could have argued that. There's just so many guys that are like, well, no, that's going to be – no, that's going to – no, that no, – no, him. No, Mario. No, Taj Washington. Like, everybody yeah. forgets about Taj Washington. Maybe he's going to be – no, wait, Dorian Singer. How many yards did he have last year? What did he do against you? Oh, okay. Well, no, Brendan Rice. I mean, so fast. He's on the freaks list. Uh, so fast, so big. Son of uh, the greatest – I'll say number two wide receiver. I'm still a Randy Moss fan. Um, but, you know, it's hard to say because there's so many guys, and none of them are Jordan Addison. Yeah. Jordan Addison was – you know, the Plitnikoff winner. So 
you know, you couldn't say anyone was going to be better than him because he was the best wide receiver in the nation. This year, it could be anybody. Yeah, I think it's wide open. I, my, I'm going to go Dorian Singer. Just I like what he's done. So, But there's a lot of options, and it's probably going to change week to week. You're going to see different guys catch you know, a bunch of passes one week and not do much the next week. But I think Singer might be, at the end of the season, maybe the most consistent. Probably, you know, it, I think Mario Williams could be too, but I'm just I'm going to go with Singer in this one. Yeah, Mario Williams is the guy to keep an eye on just because he was Caleb's favorite target coming in last year. He got a ton of balls from, from Caleb last year. He's in the position where they move him around, do different things. But the depth chart behind him is like, all right, we've got to get Zach Branch some touches. We've got to get Relique Brown some touches. Oh, Taj Washington is there. He just does everything right. He's going to make plays. So you start wondering, like, all right, does, is he losing touches to these other guys? Or do we start seeing more four wide receiver sets and take that tight end off the field? Yeah. I mean, Zach Hansen has talked about this last year at Media Day, talked about it this year. We've got to prove ourselves every single day to say that we're the fourth you know, skill player on the field uh, with those three receivers, the fifth one, I guess, with the with the uh, running back as well. But that was never the case last year. Lincoln Riley likes having a tight end on the field, and now they got some different body types you can use as the H back. So you know, Josh Follow at times was in the backfield. Yeah, last year. So I was really hoping they'd give him a handoff at one point, <laughs> but never happened. But now you got Kate Eldridge, who did actually play running back in high school. Monster running back, six five or whatever. I would not have wanted to tackle that guy. Um, but Carson uh, Tabarachi too. So you know they got different body types. Maybe they'll use tight ends different. And I think that's going to be the case. But when you have so many skill guys that are good, maybe they start un- unlocking some different formations and things that they want to do with them. So I'm I'm curious to see that too. That's another thing to watch for this year. Yeah, well, it's the same discussion we had earlier. There are four or five guys that you could expect to maybe be the top dog. And then there's some guys that we're not expecting that could end up being, you know, at the top of of the receiving list. Like, I think Taj Washington kind of got left behind a little bit preseason last year, uh, and he ended up having a great year. So uh, it's really going to be too hard to tell until maybe midseason. But I I think I'd go Dorian Singer as well to, 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 to join Ryan. Uh, Cigar asks, question, what, if any, interactions have you had with the new athletic director? What's the pulse around campus around her hire? Yeah, it's uh, it's been, been very positive. Like, I was in the room uh, when they announced her and um, at USC, and there was – it was funny. We had a big – you know, the, the press was there, but we were also sitting next to a lot of the coaches from all the different sports. Um, you would see, you know, like Andy Stankiewicz was like in my row and uh, I was sitting next to like the women's rowing coach and uh, Dane Blanton, the, the beach volleyball coach, said hi to him. And um, there's, there, you saw all these assistant coaches. So Andy Enfield on my way in um, and it was definitely very positive. There was a lot of people that worked in, you know, the department and worked at the university that learned about it on Twitter, you know, just like everybody else. So they kept it really quiet. And uh, she was great. I thought she killed it. The the energy that she has, the passion. You know, she called herself. She said the nickname they gave her at Washington. Actually, our counterpart at uh, the the Dogman site that does the twenty four seven Washington site up there. You know, they called her Sideline Jen because she would get all excited. And she said, "Never got a penalty, and I've never like you know been recorded saying something I shouldn't have been saying." But she gets very passionate about it, her team. So. You want an athletic director that's like really good at their job and cares about sports, you know, cares about the student athletes. USC's had some guys that are just sort of like ivory tower people that were looking down upon everybody. This is not that person. Like she's, I think she's going to be, uh, you know, a great advocate for the the teams that, 
that are on there. She said you can win a national championship in all 21 teams uh, for the players. I think she cares about the fans. And she wants to win. And she loves football. She cares about football. She was focused on football at Washington. And I think she'll definitely do that at USC. And, uh, you know, do whatever she can to make Lincoln Riley uh, as successful as possible. So I, I, I think it's a really great hire. The first time USC's ever hired a sitting Power 5 athletic director before. Uh, first female athletic director, which is kind of an afterthought more than anything. She's just really good at her job. And I think she'll do a great job at USC. Every person that I talked to, a bunch of coaches, some former student athletes at Washington, every single person has had nothing but positive things to say about her. So, I mean, that was around 10 to 12 people. So I I don't know what else to say from it. I haven't had any personal interaction with her yet. I hope to meet her on Saturday, uh, see her at the game. So it seems like a great hire for USC. And a little bit surprising they were able to pry her away since she'd been there for forever, yeah. went to games as a kid, and all that type stuff. But USC has that allure. For sure. And it's one of those places that you would want to go to, you know. And uh, she seemed extremely excited to be there. And the fact that she kind of was trailblazing Washington to go to the Big Ten. She studied the Big Ten for the last year. So that's going to help on that front. Um, yeah, I think I think it's a it's a great hire. And uh, looking forward to, you know, the interaction I had with her when we got to interview her, it was great. And, uh, yeah, looking forward to uh, many years covering her at USC. All right, we've got, like, one more big question, then we can do some rapid fire. Uh, big T37 on YouTube asks Shotgun, what was the impression of the basketball team left after their Europe tour? What's the latest on Big Vince? Haven't heard much about him recently. Yeah, Vince didn't make the trip. Uh, he elected to stay back to continue his treatment with the back injury. They hope to have him back by the beginning of the season. That's the latest that I was told. Uh, impressions on the team, they are going to be fun to watch. They have some uh, – I think if, if, if you're the coaching staff, you come away from that trip excited because you saw flashes from a lot of different guys of what they can do, and you got a lot of tape of stuff that you can fix. So as a coach, you're like, that's the, that's the gold standard for you. You know, if in an exhibition you want to see what your guys can actually do, what they're capable of, and you also want to be like, all right, here's the things we can still work on. This is great uh, to see it. And you saw the different pieces, how they kind of are going to kind of fit together. Really impressed by the young freshman, Isaiah Collier, of course, but also Arrington Page. I was really impressed with him, his athleticism, his ability to handle the ball. He's got – He's got future NBA uh, status, and, you know, if he continues to develop. And then Brandon Gardner, the other freshman, was a actually was a is an athletic freak. So uh, he was interesting to watch too. And to see someone like Harrison Hornery come in and hit six threes in a game, you know, that's the type of thing they're going to need. Like I said, a lot of things they can still work on and get better. But they won all three games against some very good clubs over there, even though they barely practiced the week before they left because of the whole Bronny James situation. Um, and, you know, they got, gave the players some time away, so they only had a couple of days to kind of get back going. And then they traveled. I think I was told they didn't pick up a ball for like five days because of the travel and, you know, they didn't have a game until a couple of days in. So it's not like they were going over there and getting full practices in, in between or before games and stuff. So um, I thought they showed out and a lot of things to work on, but some a lot of positives too. Cool. All right, a couple uh, rapid-fire ones. Did anyone see Fagans on the depth chart is a question from YouTube. He's not on the depth chart. No, he was not, yeah. All right. Do we have a call or no? We do have one. Oh, cool, okay. Uh, another question from Andrew. Do you guys expect five to be on the pair style again this season? I'm going to so, go with yes. Yeah. Uh, I don't know about if it'll be there Saturday, but I'm going to go with yes. 
I think by the end of the season, I'll go with yes, yeah. All right, one more rapid fire. We can all answer this one and then get to the caller. Who gets the first interception of the season? Probably go Caleb Bullock just because he's got the most volume. <laughs> so go with the play the odds. Go Caleb Bullock. Yeah, I was going to go with that. But since you stole it, I'll go with uh, Jalen Smith. Well, that's who I was going to go with as my second. I'll huh. go uh, then Max Williams, I guess, his third pick. Okay. Let's get to the caller, Curtis from Moreno. It'll end up being Anthony Lucas. <laughs> I was going to say something. It's got to be something like Tacka Curtis. Like People would go. The first, well, the first one two years ago against San Jose State was Drake Jackson. He oh. intercepted that, that screen pass. Yeah. Or it's going to be something like that. Uh, <laughs> Bear Alexander with an interception. Uh, we've got a caller, Curtis from Moreno Valley, calling in. Let's see. Curtis, can you hear us? You're on Tunnel Vision. Yes. Okay, I want to start this off with Shotgun and Caleb Williams. Props to Shotgun with the 007 on a plane making a phone call to Lincoln Riley. I'm going to post it on Twitter or X or whatever it is. And Caleb, Caleb Williams, Trojan fans, uh, people all over the nation in the sports media are calling him magical. We have a magic quarterback. Uh, Coach Harvey Hyde, I respect his knowledge in college football more than anybody. He called Caleb the magic man. It's going to be hard to beat us. Talk to you later. Thanks, Curtis. Um, it, it is funny when you talk about it. USC is the most talented team probably in the Pac-12, and I think Oregon's you know talented too. I mean, Washington's got a great – Offense. Utah's won the league two years in a row. Oregon State's going to be a lot better. They can run the ball. They can play defense. They got a new quarterback in DJ. You know, UCLA could be really good, even though they got to replace some production on offense. But like when when you're picking and you and I see the experts and they're like, oh, I think this team's going to win, or they list the top three teams and like USC's not in there. It's like, are you forgetting? That you have, like, even if everything else stunk, like, they stunk on defense last year, and you were this close to still making the playoff. If you have any indication that the defense is going to be, like, marginally better, and you still have Caleb Williams, it's like, how are you not picking this team? And I get it. Sometimes you just want to be contrarian. You don't <laughs> want to believe it, but Curtis is right. Like, Caleb is freaking magic. You know, he's going to be the featured guy on the Dr. Pepper commercials. He's going to be, you know, coming up. Um, it's, yeah, he had great numbers last year. I think he has room to make even be better. Uh, and the team can be better because they could go from, you know, not the conference winner to the conference winner and to a playoff, you know, being in the playoff. If he does that, I think he is as good a shot as any as anyone to go back-to-back -back in the Heisman. Might be tough to do less than five picks. That's hard. But... You know, the efficiency can go up. He can get more touchdowns. He can run for more. Uh, you know, there's. I think there's upside on his numbers, and then there's certainly upside. It's not like they went to the national championship game last year. You can't improve on that. They can win the conference. That's an improvement. They can go to the playoff for the first time in USC history. You can improve on both sides. That's why I think he's got a shot to be a repeat guy. They got to play. You know, there's a lot of games left. He's got to play, but... I'm I'm excited with you, Curtis. Like he is a magic man, and you're going to get to see him for whole another season. Another thing that could contribute to his uh, potential of winning back to back is that all the teams that you kind of look at at the top of the rankings are all replacing quarterbacks. Yeah, Ohio State, Georgia, Alabama. Now I just had a buddy back in Georgia tell me Carson Beck's going to win the Heisman this year, and hey, maybe he does. He maybe could. he comes out of nowhere, but he has no experience. Yeah. 
Neither does who's taking over at Alabama. Is it going to be uh, Tyler Buckner or whoever? Jalen Monroe. I, I think Buckner was listed like third for some reason. Like well, whoever kinda... they do, like not a ton of experience. Um, same thing at Ohio State. Devin Brown, former USC commit. Is he going to be him? Don't know, but not any experience. So then, is it going to be a running back? Not against Caleb Williams. Yeah. Like Blake Corum had his chance last year and got hurt, and that's the thing with running backs. There's too often they're going to get injured, and that's the big concern to Caleb's. Um, Heisman could potential is you know if he gets banged up. The other thing is if the defense is better, they may blow teams out more, and so maybe games aren't as close. He doesn't stay in. He doesn't rack up as many stats. That's another thing that could play on it. But he is he is a a magic man. Sounds really weird, so I won't say it that way. But his teammates, Justin Didich calls him calls him little Houdini. Yeah. So you know. That is what you expect out of him. He makes magic out of things. You know, that play against Notre Dame, it'll get played over and over and over for eternity. It'll live in the lore of, you know, the the Reggie Bush highlights that don't score touchdowns. Yeah. And, because and, that one didn't. But. And with the, the quarterback depth in the Pac-12, he gets to play against Michael Penix, who True. finished number 10 last year. And so Bowdicks. Penix would probably score a whole bunch of points. And if Caleb outscores him, we're like, all right, well, he ain't winning. And then Bo <laughs> Nix, who's got billboards all over New York or whatever, buildings painted with his you know image on it, you get to go head-to-head in his place. you know, And that's one of the things. We're like, all right, if you beat him there... He's not winning the Heisman, you know. I mean, that it could be a, a stepping stone for Bo Nix or Michael Penix to win if they're able to like beat yeah. Caleb Williams. Not that they're on the field at the same time, but um, I think it's great opportunities that you get to play against potential other candidates during the season and and doing that too. So if you're up there for the award, and so is Bo Nix, and you beat him in his house, like you know, I think that's a, another aspect where you know it's hard to go back to back. I'm a Heisman voter, you know. It's like you don't want to vote for the same guy, but. I feel like for Caleb, like there's enough opportunity. There's there's more headroom. You know, sometimes when you have a Heisman season, like you are at the tippity top. You're you can't. There's no room for improvement. You, there's no way you could do better. Like he could do better, which it's not always the case. I, all all we need to say about Caleb Williams is we went an hour and fifteen minutes previewing almost everything to do with USC's season opener and their entire season, and we did really not mention him at all because we just know that he's, he's the, the best quarterback in the country. Yeah. He's, he's the given. <laughs> yeah. Like you know, you're going to get greatness out of him, which is so. Weird. I don't. You would know better, but like I don't know if did you come into the the '05 season and know that about Reggie? You're just like you're going to get greatness out of him. What are you going to get from everybody else? Because that's what it feels like with Caleb Williams. Like, all right, you're going to get greatness from him. He's going to throw all these touchdown passes. He's going to lead the receivers. If they catch the ball and don't tip it up to the defense, then you know he's not even going to have many interceptions. Like, that's how it feels with him. And he has things that he still needs to work on. There's small things that he can clean up from last year. Lincoln Riley's tried to reemphasize that every time he talks about Caleb Williams. One of the things I would like to see is put two hands on the ball when he's in the pocket running around because there's going to be strip sacks coming if – you know, if he continues the way he does with that. But, you know, there's areas he can still improve, and that's the thing. It, Lincoln Riley's mentioned a couple times, he's like, he's still young. Yeah. He's a pretty young quarterback, especially with the COVID uh, high school season, not getting to play. Um, I don't remember if they played at all or if they played a minimal season, but, like, he's still developing, and that's the scary part of it, and that's why we say he's a generational quarterback. He's, he's scary good, and – He's done everything the right way. Outside of if you're an opposing fan and you're just very upset about fingernail paint. <laughs> Outside of that, like, what else do you say about him? 
that he yeah. cries on the sideline because he's so upset at losing a game. Okay, yeah, right. You got those things. And he paints his fingernails and he cries. Yeah. Other than that, what can you say? Like the kids out there, he has his own charity. They do a ton of great work. He's on the face of all these different things, flying around the the world this this summer, and yet still down to earth, humble. Everyone around his teammates all love him. You, you see the quotes from the PFF article or uh, uh, podcast where they had Dorian Singer on. It was like, if t- Caleb said run through a brick wall, 10 guys would get up and go do it immediately. <laughs> like, like he, everyone gravitates toward him. He has the, he's, he's the gravitational pull. He had his own bobblehead at Dodger Stadium, which my friend, first pitch. Yeah, my friend got one for us. So we'll have it for the studio. And yet, so. what did he do? He again took his office alignment with him. Yeah, like he does all those small things that you can't be like, "Well, this guy's a diva, or this guy's a jerk, or whatever." It's just like everyone around him is like, "Well, that's not true." If you actually knew him, you'd say that's not true. So, unless there's something hidden in the closet that is going to come out in mid middle of the season, which would be very USC like, unfortunately, um, then like there's nothing you can say bad about him, and he's only continuing to get better because his work ethic is off the charts too. All the things that you see him like you watch if you watch the quarterback show, I start I'm watching the the I watch that and like the Patrick Mahomes section and I all right let me pay extra attention because everyone's talking about uh, this could be you know similar all the same drills that like Patrick Mahomes goes through in pregame all the same drills he goes through on his Tuesday workout like those are the ones at least of the, the portions of Caleb Williams warm ups and stuff that that we've seen like all the same thing. So and like he's built like a running back. Like there's so many positive things to say about him that we don't really say it because he's been so good and it's the off season. We want to talk about everybody else. Once we get in the season, start seeing highlights. We'll talk a little bit more about Caleb. Yeah. Wait, SD calls him Superman, and I feel like you know Superman doesn't have a sidekick. But last year it was Caleb is Superman on offense, and all he needed was like a slight sidekick on defense. USC gave him like shotgun and a cape and asked him to be a superhero. <laughs> all you need for USC on defense this year is. It be good, be average, and, and I think you know we think there's some talent there to be above that. But you just cannot be the seventh worst defense in the country. And I think then you're setting yourself up pretty well for the season if you're able to just build something on that side of the ball. You trust the offensive line and the wide receiver group, and you know Caleb Williams will lead you to where you want to go. Well, something a little better than like the 1960s like Batman TV show, like that Robin. <laughs> like that's that's how the USC defense was. Like you need something a little better than that. So we'll see. Well, you got a bear. You got a bird that's been dominant during the the uh, fall camp. You got LeBron's son, at least in actor mode. Um, Captain America. Got Captain America. I mean, some some superheroes over there. I like it. Potentially, yeah, and then whatever you want to call Mason Cobb, because I think he's gonna he's gonna get ejected from a game. I just I have a feeling for targeting. You think so? He's going to blow somebody up. Yeah. I just have a feeling that's going to happen. I think USC Fender would be happy to see. Man, there's someone like tackling. That's like a big deal, you know? <laughs> he likes to tackle. I, have, I feel like that hasn't been as much of a conversation. Normally, that was the entire tunnel visions on Thursdays and Sundays. It would be like 10 minutes about Caleb Williams, 50 minutes about tackling, <laughs> and then we'd get to questions. If uh, they don't tackle in this game, then we'll be talking about it a lot. But I think you're going to see some some more sure tackles. We'll see. And if they can stay healthy, you got All-American and Kalen Bullock. you got a five-star in uh, Damani Jackson. you got a really high four-star in Zion Branch that can continue to get better as the season goes along. Uh, and then you got a unicorn. And Eric Gentry. I forgot yeah. about the unicorn. You got a bear, a bird. The angry giraffe. You got angry, yeah, angry giraffe. Yeah. I like him as a unicorn. Okay, fine. Um, uh, and you got if we get Anthony Beavers in the starting lineup, you got a beaver too. So I mean, you got all <laughs> kinds of animals to help reinforce. Maybe he's like the uh, what was it? 
was it He Man or Masters of the Universe? Who who's the guy that could uh, control the animals? Oh God, I, I that's from my era, but I don't even remember. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna let Ryan handle that one. <laughs> yeah, that's way before Jack's time. All right, do you guys have any final thoughts before we wrap this one up and then just kind of patiently wait the, the hours till Saturday? Yeah, I just want to thank everybody. Uh, we're going to be doing these regular Tunnel Vision shows. I know we had a whole bunch of people on YouTube. I know we had some people on our Twitter account and, uh, and Facebook as well. So thank you for tuning in wherever you're listening or watching. And uh, if you're watching the replay, thank you for that too. Um, it's great. We're really excited to cover this football team. I, hopefully, as USC fans, you guys are excited as well getting out to the coliseum again i hope that a lot of fans come you pack it uh go watch the games this one's on pac-12 network so you should go to the game if you're in southern california or anywhere close you know shotgun came all the way from the east coast because they don't get pac-12 network there so he has That's to come not true out. i actually get it <laughs> but thanks to everyone for doing that I'm really excited to uh cover this team cover this season i'm excited about our whole crew it's great to have jack back i think you guys are going to love connor Morris said if you haven't read his stuff yet we still got rj and chris and gerard doing stuff and ahmad we have a lot of big group a big uh you know a lot of content going up on the site so make sure you check out uscfootball.com and uh thanks all for you guys for doing that well with that we'll wait till saturday thank you guys so much for watching the show we'll be back on sunday with a recap and then throughout the season thursdays and sundays you can come back and watch tunnel vision here but thank you guys so much for watching hope you have a good rest of your evening make sure you like and subscribe guys on youtube and if you aren't a member yet, sign up for the P because that's where all the VIP stuff is to get the early access. War Room is going up in the morning. Yes, check it out. Do all of those things, and then <laughs> we'll see you on Saturday. Jeremy Renner returns to Paramount Plus for a brand new season of the original hit series, Mayor of Kingstown. My job is to create a balance. Avoid a war. From executive producer Taylor Sheridan, co-creator of Yellowstone. There's some new players in town, and they brought the flag. And Antoine Fuqua, director of Training Day. I know it's always been a war zone, Mike, but this is next level. The mayor is back in business. Are you warning me? You're going to find out. Mayor of Kingstown. New season streaming June 2nd, exclusively on Paramount+. Plus.